My name's Paul. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I have four children of my own, ages 13, 10, 8, and 5. And with it being Father's Day, I just want to say, like, I try to be a good dad. Like, I, like I, I put energy into it. I'm not saying I'm successful all the time, but I'm at least trying to pour my energy into it. And so I've done all kinds of different things with my kids. I mean, we've gone on hikes together. together. We've swam in rivers together. We've gone fishing. We've gone on all kinds of different adventures. I've played with all kinds of dolls, G.I. Joes, Transformers, all kinds of crafts. Like, like I try to pour the energy into it. And so the type of love that a young child pours back to you is sort of like when one of my children, they had a school project and they had to write something about their dad, something that their dad really likes to do and something their dad is really good at. And I feel like there's some decent things that she could have written down. But she wrote down, my dad really likes to lay on the couch and my dad is really good at taking naps. And I'm, I have to face up to this teacher now. Like, this is what my kid brags about her dad. Come on, there's got to be a little bit more than that. Like, dads don't always receive the love that they deserve to receive on holidays. And so I want to make sure that on a day like today, on Father's Day, that we celebrate the dads who are trying and the dads are doing well. Can we just celebrate them for a minute? Dads, we're, we're thankful for you. And if you're in here like, oh my goodness, it's Father's Day, I forgot, just grab one of the things in the lobby and give it to them like it was from you. It's going to look really good for you. Feel free to do that. We want to make sure that dads are loved. Did you know that there are 40 million less cards sent on Father's Day than Mother's Day? That's staggering. And maybe moms just appreciate that more and dad's like, don't spend $5 on that stupid piece of paper. Just give me the $5 and give me a coffee or something. Maybe that's what it is. But maybe also we've seen within our society just the role of fatherhood get diminished, 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 diminished. That it's become more and more acceptable to be an absent father. And I believe that we've collectively got to a point where we feel like it's just okay. Like it's just, it's fine. It's fine if father's not there. I'm not missing anything. There's not any part of me that's missing. There's not any pain there. I'm just okay that father's not there. And I want to tell you that God has designed a role for father and mother in the role of each person, in the, the role of each person's life. And maybe you're like me where you had an absent dad. And there's part of you that begins to try to cover and say, you know, I just don't need that. I'm not going to get it. So I'm just going to say, I don't need it. I don't even want it. I'm better off without it. And I've walked through that. And I want to tell you that the gift of fatherhood is a good thing. And even if you didn't receive it, you still have the chance to give that to someone else. Even if you don't have biological children, I believe that God uses so many men as father figures in other people's lives through mentorship, through being a stepdad. In each one of you, you have a crucial role to play in the life of people that God has given you. And today we're going to look at a passage that I believe has something that we have something to learn about fatherhood, as well as we're going to learn, learn about baptism today because we're, we're baptizing some people today. And I'm, I'm so excited about the people who are taking this step. And I'm going to teach on baptism. Some of the stuff you might know, some of this might be new to you or just encouraging to you. But we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. It's going to be our area of focus today. And I'll, we'll put the, these verses on the screen as I read them, starting at verse 9. And it says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now I'm just going to teach a little bit of history here because as we get to this point, Jesus is getting baptized by John, which is just an interesting thing within itself. Because in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, as Jesus walks up to John the Baptist and says, hey, I want you to baptize me. John immediately rebels and he's like, I can't baptize you. Like you should be baptizing me. And Jesus' response is to him, this is what's right to happen. This has to happen. And so John eventually did it. But even as we hear that Jesus got baptized, baptism in that setting held and carried a different meaning than the baptism that we see happening in the early church later in scripture. In Corinthians and Colossians, it paints a picture of baptism, but it's actually different than the one that was happening here. Because the baptism that that John was doing was a baptism of repentance that was really based on the Levitical system of if someone had leprosy, they would have to be removed from the community. They would have to live on their own, which is just a heart-wrenching thing in itself. Because if you're a father or a mother, or a sibling, and you developed this disease, you would be removed from your household so that you don't infect anyone else. You'd have to live in isolation, have food dropped off to you. You'd depend on the kindness of others to survive because you can't work amongst other people. But once that disease would clear up and go, you would then go show yourself to a priest and you would go through this washing ritual, which is really where the, the roots of what the baptism that John the Baptist was doing came from. It was this this time of being washed in the water and restored back to the life that you should have been living. And so John's baptism, it's different than the baptism that's taught in the New Testament because we see that in the New Testament, Colossians 2 does a really good job of describing it for us that we were buried with Christ through baptism and risen with him to new life. Baptism in the New Testament later after the resurrection of Jesus, it's actually a picture of the gospel message. That Jesus died and he was buried. And that's the picture of us being submerged under the water. And the word baptism literally just means to submerge. And so it's going under the water the way that Jesus was, was enveloped by the grave and rising out of it to new life the way that Jesus rose out of the grave. And that's the picture that Corinthians and Colossians paints of baptism. And it was different because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. He hasn't risen from the grave yet. And so the baptism held a different meaning. But the the example was there, not because Jesus had to be baptized, but because he was setting an example for you and what he wanted you to do. In Matthew 28, 19, the instruction is given to the church to make disciples of of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so baptism is an instruction from Jesus to the church, from Jesus to to the new believer, but the one that we see happening here at this moment held a little bit of a different meaning, but for us, when we look at baptism and the call to baptism, it's an important outward symbol of our faith. It's a symbol, and I want to make sure that we clarify this because baptism does not save you. We are not saved. Our sins are not forgiven by baptism. What scripture teaches is that when we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, we'll be forgiven, we'll be made new creations. Our sin will be separated from us as far as the east is from the west. Our faith is where we find forgiveness. But baptism is a symbol, an outward message that we give. Let me compare it to this. 
my wife, for my birthday weekend, she took me to a place up in Orlando, and we went indoor skydiving for the first time. And if you want to know what it's like, just think of a dog sticking its head out the window and drool flying everywhere. That's basically what it's like. But when you do this, they make you take off all jewelry. And so we had to take off our wedding rings, which after, you know, 16 years of marriage, it can barely get off of there. Um, and once I finally got it off, I had to, you know, do the, the dad joke of, oh, I guess we're not married right now. You know, put the ring back on. I, I, it's nice to be married again. But, but we know that wearing a wedding ring or not wearing a wedding ring does not change your actual marital status. You're still married even when you take the ring off. Your behavior should follow the fact that you're still married if you're not wearing your ring for whatever reason. The ring doesn't change the status of the marriage, but it's a symbol of the marriage that is there. Baptism, it doesn't change your status with God, but it's a symbol of the fact that you're in. If someone didn't want people to know that they were married, you would have issues with your spouse, wouldn't you? You would question their commitment. And baptism isn't a sign of spiritual depth either. It was an instruction for the new believer. Someone who first says, yes, I believe that you are my Lord. Okay, if he is your Lord, then one of the first steps is baptism. Make the outward confession. Take the outward step to let people know that this is where your heart and where your belief is. And we on Father's Day, dads, I believe you'll give me a good amen on this in just a moment. When you ask your child to do something, they should do it immediately. Amen. That's right. It's not a hard thing. Like if I tell you to do something, you go and do it. And the time frame that you do it in matters. If I say, hey, go clean your room, you don't say, I'll do it later. Back to me. The tension level in the room will rise if the conversation goes that way. That's not how a child should react to their parent. When God gives you an instruction, it shouldn't be, I'll do it later. The most honoring thing that we can do is say, anytime that you ask something of me, God, I will always respond with a yes. I will always begin to put obedience into action. The other thing is that the heart attitude that we do it with, that matters as well. Because if we tell a child to go clean their room and they go fine and they slam the door, that conversation isn't over yet, is it? No, it's like we got to get that heart right before we even worry about getting that room right. The action does not matter as much as the heart position. And the heart position for baptism is always just, this is the right thing to do. This is the, this is the question mark from God. Will you follow through the first step that I give you? And if you're willing to do it, that's what needs to be there. It's not, I need to have a spiritual high to be able to get to a point to justify other people watching me get baptized. That's not what we want. We want it to be as simple as if God has asked me to do it, I will always respond with a yes. And I will let the social consequences fall where they are because I know that I can trust God in these things. Baptism, it's a symbol, it's a picture, it's a beautiful picture of the message of the gospel and that it belongs to your faith, not someone else's. And that's why we teach here at Gulfside, many of us were baptized as young children And that was a picture of our parents' faith and hope and prayer for us. And many, many of the lives that they lived of baptizing us early helped us get to the point, but there needs to be a place where the faith becomes our own. And we say, I am choosing to be baptized because it is a reflection of my personal faith. 
And so at times we have people who will get baptized because they, they recognize, I need to take this step for myself. And in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, it, it brings out that point that I alluded to earlier where it says, but John the Baptist tried to deter Jesus saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. If it's the right thing to do, even if it's just a small step of something like getting baptized, I want you to know that the, the, the boring, mundane things, I mean, those are the things that God works miracles out of. Like when God gives an instruction, it can just seem, this is ridiculously too simple to make a difference in my life. But those are the things that God works huge, huge miracles out of. When you think back to the people of Israel at the battle of Jericho, the instructions for battle that God gave them was just go walk around the walls. Doesn't seem like that's going to fix our problem. But God was setting something up of showing, I'm going to be the one who does the work. If you do the simple, I'll provide the miracle. When, when in the middle of a storm, the apostle Peter saw Jesus walking on the water and he wanted to be where Jesus was. He, he said, Jesus, is that you? Can I come to you? And Jesus said, yes, come. And the thing that Peter needed to do to experience a miracle was just as simple as stepping over the boat. Another time, the, the mundane just turned into a miracle. There's people who needed to be fed and, we, and they, the disciples only had a few loaves and a few pieces of fish. And Jesus said, let's pray over it and just begin using what you have. Begin giving it out. And God multiplied it and performed an incredible miracle by the simple thing of just go start handing people food. And so many of us, we want to experience God in a dynamic, powerful, emotional way. And I want to tell you, God does show up that way at times and seasons in our life. But every time that I've seen God do something that just moved and changed someone's heart, it always started from them beginning to be willing to just take the simple, practical steps of faith. And it's like, if you've been holding on to, well, I, I know that I should get baptized. I know that scripture teaches me to get baptized, but I'm just waiting on something spiritually really strong and significant. And then I'll finally listen. I'm going to tell you, you've got the order flipped. The miracles happen after the first steps of obedience. In this passage, it's a really cool miracle that, that begins to happen here. And this is, the, I, I was going to go a completely different direction with the sermon this week, but in my personal like quiet times of studying scripture, I read this and it just like, it just grabbed a hold of my heart because there's, there's a thing that was descriptive in here that I had never caught. I, 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 didn't, I didn't recognize that this is how it was described. In, in verse 10, make sure you catch this in, in your attention, the way this, this is described. It says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. That word torn open is very descriptive. And so I had to like hop into the Greek because some, some um, translations will just say open. Some of them will say torn open. And I was like, what word is here? And the word is actually literally torn. Like in the gospel of John 21, after Jesus' resurrection, when Peter was out fishing and they caught no fish all night and Jesus was at the shore, but they didn't recognize it was him. And he said, throw your nets on the other side. And they caught so many fish that they were amazed that the nets did not tear. Like they looked at the nets and they were, they were stretching. There was too many fish in it and they thought it was tearing. And it's the same word that, that it didn't tear. It, and so what's being described here is God who is in heaven who we understand he's separate from us. 
He, he is invisible to our eyes, even though his character and his nature is on display throughout all of creation, is what scripture says. At this moment, it was like the love of God and the person of God was too much weight for, for the heavens to bear, and it just opened up at the baptism of Jesus. And this is book ended in a very interesting way because the baptism of Jesus is the beginning of his earthly ministry. Like this is the beginning of things really getting started. And then the, the, the conclusion, the end, his death on the cross, also positioned there. So there's holy God in heaven that is tearing open at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And then at the, that last moment on the cross where Jesus gave up his life to pay for your sins, within the temple in the most holy of holies, where the spirit of God would reside, where, where only the high priest would go into about once per year and the common person couldn't come into where the presence of God was. At the moment where Jesus died on the cross, that curtain that separated man from God tore from top to bottom. And it's this amazing symmetry to the ministry and life of Jesus that the heavens tore open at the beginning and the holy of holies tore open at the end because the presence of God was moving from buildings to the hearts of his people. And that miracle, it happened right at his baptism. Mark 1.10, the heavens were torn open and Mark 15.38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The other beautiful thing about this passage is that we see the, the display of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in one verse. That they're all there together in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And from the heavens being torn open to the veil being torn open to the life and the death of Jesus Christ, God has torn apart every single barrier that would keep you from getting to him. Through the life of Jesus, grace has been made available to every single one of us. A God who is so holy that we don't deserve to approach him because of the sin and the choices that we make. God himself loved you so much that he sent his son to pay the debt that you owed. And we've reached this point where God has torn apart everything that would divide you from him. And the only thing that could ever keep you from him now is you, is your own choices. God has made himself available to you. God has made his spirit available. He has made himself known to you through the life of his son. He has made his character and his love known through the life of Jesus Christ. And you have a choice of to receive that. There's a heavenly father who loves you dearly. And this is important to, to recognize because within this verse, we have a picture of what a good heavenly father should be like. This is a picture of what a good earthly father should be like because listen how he speaks about Jesus in verse 11. He says, it says, a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now we understand that he'd say that about Jesus, but I think that there's probably part of us who would say, well, Paul, you don't understand what he'd say about me. Jesus is Jesus, but Jesus doesn't have my history, my mistakes, my past, my addictions. And I want to clarify for God so loved the earth, for God so loved you that he sent his son, his one and only son. So whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. In fact, scripture says that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. That rejoicing has to come from the top down to the bottom. That the angels rejoice because they see that the heart of God rejoices 
when one sinner comes back around. Zephaniah describes the way God feels about us. And it says, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty savior. He comes to save. For those who have messed up, for those who need rescue, he is a savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears and he will rejoice over you with joyful songs. The picture that we have in scripture is that you have a heavenly father who doesn't just tolerate you, but he actually will rejoice over you. Will he correct you? Will he discipline you? Absolutely. Does he have a standard that he calls you to live towards? Absolutely. But when you strive to live for him, even in your failings, he looks at you with a perfect love. And even to the person who says, well, you know, it's hard for me to understand God as a heavenly father because my earthly father wasn't there. My earthly father wasn't good. My earthly father was abusive. And I want to tell you, one of the things that scripture tells us in Psalm 68, 5 is that he is a father to the fatherless. That God actually pays special and close attention to the person whose father hasn't been there the way that they should. And your heavenly father himself will begin to fill that role that should have rightfully been filled by someone else. That God will look into your pain and he will pour healing into the places where there should have been someone. You know, I I mentioned that there were 40 million less cards purchased on Father's Day than on Mother's Day. And I think that's because it's become more and more acceptable for dads to just be absent, for, for just the, the Homer Simpson dad who doesn't have it together, who kind of the bumbling oaf, who doesn't have wisdom to offer his kids, who doesn't, doesn't care. There's other things going on. And I want, I want to tell you that what we see through the scope of Scripture is that Fatherhood is so important that it's one of the most common ways that God compares his relationship to you so that you can understand it better. Fatherhood is so important that if our idea of fatherhood can get damaged here, it can damage our understanding of our heavenly father. And so dads in the room, men in the room, young men in the room, I want you to hear me on this. Even if you haven't received a blessing from the person who is your father, there's an important blessing that one day you're going to need to pour into someone else. And no matter how much success your children have, no matter how great they are, no matter how much they earn, I want to tell you, there will be part of them that always craves and always needs and still needs the blessing of their father. You know, I, my dad wasn't around for the majority of my life. Uh, actually, about the time that he left when I, I was nine, it wasn't long after that, that my grandfather, his father, had a stroke. And so he lost his ability to speak and he wasn't around. And so really the men in my family, I didn't get to have a strong connection to. And God provided other men to fill that void as I grew and as I grew in my faith. But one of the things that's been a joy to me in the last couple of years is I've got to connect with my grandfather's first cousin. Um, I call him Cousin Buddy because I'm not good at the first, second cousin removed thing. So I just, Cousin Buddy is his name to me. And Buddy, it, some people will understand this. Some people, it might kind of shoot over. My family has lived in Southwest Florida since before there were air conditioning units in Southwest Florida. And if you know what those type of people are like, yeah. I mean, like my family up the line are commercial fishermen. Uh, my cousin Buddy, his dad was a commercial fisher, fisherman south of Naples 
back in the day, no GPSs, like life was hard. People were hard on each other. He was telling me a story how, how one time he kind of spoke out of line to his dad and his dad just without saying a word, grabbed a two by four and smacked him, put him right back in line. And like, it was not even talked about. It was just normal life back then. I'm not saying that was right at all. I'm just saying he came from a rough neck family. He grew up with 10 siblings in a really small house in Southwest Florida. Buddy came to faith in Christ and it dramatically changed his life. And so I'm able to go with him and listen to family stories and talk about the Lord. And it's like, I, I do receive a blessing from him of getting to know him. And I, to brag on Buddy, he did great in his life. I mean, he knew the Lord. He had a great marriage. He still refers to his wife as a princess. She passed away a few years ago. Um, they had a great loving relationship all the days of their life together. Buddy was successful in business. He, he, did, he worked for IBM and he did realty in Naples. And if you do realty in Naples for a long time, you do really well. He, he has all the things. He's got a beautiful 32-foot boat that we go fishing in the Keys in. Like he, he's got it. All the things that you think someone would want and they would just sit back and say, I have everything that I ever need. So last fishing trip, we were talking about his father. And thankfully, his father came to Christ towards the end of his life. But even as... Buddy's father was getting towards his closing days. Buddy was talking about how much he just wished he could have gotten a blessing from his father. His father would have just prayed for him and asked a blessing over him and spoke those words of life that, I love you, son. I'm well pleased with you. God is going to continue to do great things for you. Through all of the success, there's nothing else that really fills that void of the father's voice. And I share that because I want to impress upon you that if you're a man, there will come a point, whether through your stepchild, whether through someone that you have a mentoring relationship or through biological children of your own or adopted children of your own, men, there will come a point where you have an opportunity to be that blessing into someone's life and you have to grab a hold of it. God will use it tremendously in who they are. And we see that from the Old Testament, all the way to the baptism of Jesus, the importance of a father speaking a blessing. And I want to tell you, your heavenly father, every time that you say yes to him, he rejoices over you. Every time he pushes you about taking a step, every time he pushes you about holiness in the way that you should live and you respond with a yes, your heavenly father rejoices over you. And today, man, we're going to get to celebrate some people who are saying yes to God in the area of baptism. And we're going to show a video in just a minute here that that shares some of their stories. Um, But I want to push on you for a moment before we hear their stories. Is there an area that you know you need to say yes to God about, but you haven't? Maybe it's getting your relationship with God to where it needs to be. Maybe, maybe it's finally starting that relationship with him where you ask him to be Lord and Savior. Maybe it's this area of baptism. I, I would love to walk with you through that. I've had so many people help me along my faith and my life that all I have is grace and joy and celebration as someone is getting any area right in their life. And so I would love to celebrate that decision with you if you're making one. But here's the thing. Don't say, Dad, I'll do it later. Say, Heavenly Father, right now, I'll respond with a yes. I'll respond with a step of obedience. 
And there will be rejoicing in this room and there will be rejoicing in heaven over each person who when God says, take a step and we say, yes. And so today, um, as we continue our service together, I want to share with you just a small glimpse of the stories of people who've been saying yes to God. Um, I was born into a Christian home. I grew up in church and I learned all the Bible stories when I was little, but I never really believed in any of it. As I got older, I continued to deny Jesus until somehow my actions led me to be in a Baptist church in Cleveland, Ohio. And I was sitting there on a, it was a Wednesday evening, and I was just listening to the preacher preach, and I guess the Holy Spirit just was in, was in me, and that's when I decided to get saved. I never had a very religious household or anything like that. Um, my family just never went to church, never did that, because my mom worked Sunday, so it just wasn't a thing that we could do. My dad's an atheist. It's very complicated. He has a complicated relationship with God himself. I uh, moved here in April 2019. I met my uh, now wife, Sally Carter. I met her in September 2019. Uh, we met for a few minutes, and then uh, we didn't get reacquainted again until December 2019. Uh, we had a couple beach visits, and that's when I found out that Sally was a uh, a very nice young Christian woman. So after a few talks some more, I, I decided that uh, I better uh, rededicate myself back to Christ, and uh, I did so. Before Jesus, I was just like not really paying attention in life and like not like very focused in and everything. I grew apart from church because like everything that was happening in my household. But now that I joined the youth group, it's helping me like reconnect with Jesus and God and everything. Oh, and me? I ain't listen. I was disrespectful. I really didn't listen to my mom. It's a lot. It's a lot, to be honest. Well, I was real reckless. Like, I was just hanging with people I wasn't supposed to be hanging around, um, doing stuff we weren't supposed to. I'd say the time when I started um, joining a youth group, um, I had started going with my girlfriend and her family. Um, they would just help me. Uh, get through it. I wasn't raised in a Christian household, which led me to deal with years of anxiety and depression through high school and college, and I had to deal with it alone. It wasn't until I became an adult that I um, started to go to church more regularly when I met my husband, and his dad was a pastor of a church in Evansville, Indiana. I saw God's grace move in lives um, in ways that I've never seen before, and I've seen God's love touch kids in ways that I've never felt. Baptism to me is a symbol that you are going to live out your life in God's image and how He wants you to live it. I think it's a start to a new beginning and just getting rid of my old life and starting to live for Jesus. We, one day it was a Gulfside church and Paul was talking about how we're going back to Island Coast High School and he was saying how we were going to do baptisms and I felt, I felt it in my heart that that was right for me, that that was meant for me to do. Pastor Paul brought up the fact that he's going to do a baptism on the first Sunday back to the, uh, the high school. I just looked at Sally and I said, I'm going to do this. So. Before like any, everything, I was baptized as like a baby, but now that I'm this age and have, I can make my own choices, I choose to be baptized because I accept Jesus and God into my life. 
I just want to become a new person. I just want, you know, all the negative, the negative thoughts, um, negative mindset, negative energy. I just want to become a better person at the end of the day. I just want to become different. I just want to inspire other people. Just be themselves and don't pretend to be somebody else. Just to be closer with God, um, cause as a young kid, I, I really didn't like going to church. But now that I got older, I was like, no, I wanna, I wanna be closer with Him. I have um, seen God work in ways in my life that I that I could have never imagined. Um, he's fought battles for me when I when I didn't have the strength to fight for myself.